Hello and welcome to episode 396 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's packed show, Qantas gets their A380s into money-making mode, Japan starts to let your pets on board aircraft and one passenger decides the flight deck is better than the cabin. In the military this week, the FAA shuts down the airspace on the West Coast. A B-52 is trekking across the USA and U.S. Air Force Special Operations makes a stop at Teesside Airport in Newcastle. So joining me across the village in the Master Suite PTUK studios this week is, of course, the legend of all things pushy, slidey, buttony and twisty and turny, <laughs> Matt Smith. Yes, I could disagree with you there and say that Nev is the master of all things slidey and pushy, buttony and things like that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, in the, you know, I'll soldier on regardless. Hello. Well, we're, lucky to, we're lucky to have two of you in, on True, the uh, absolutely. team anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're like fine wine, aren't we, Nev, eh? Uh, aged in my yeah. age well, <laughs> yes. But, like I say, uh, fine wine, you see. <laughs> how are things in the uh, PT? I'm glad, glad to see you're actually, you are back in the PTUK studio, not in the kitchen this week, Matt. <laughs> I'm always in the kitchen. I'm always in the kitchen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got uh, a picture from Jonathan Warner today. Some, I think so. I seem to remember him saying I should have had the message ready, shouldn't I, really? That would have been, uh, like, oh. organised of me and stuff. That would have been really good, wouldn't it? Uh, so p- picture was sent by Jonathan Warner back in 2011. This uh, picture was taken, and I think... Because uh, it's not coming up in my phone. I'm sorry. Uh, there we go. It was from Riyadh 2011. It was the rehearsal day with the Spanish display team landing all seven aircraft in formation. There you go. Oh, thank you for that, Jonathan. Yeah, Why is nice to picture nice on picture. there? Yeah. I, I, sh- should I tell them the first thing you did when you saw that picture was said it was the red arrow? Should I tell them that? Yeah, tell them. No, I don't okay. care. <laughs> Fair enough. After 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 this week, I don't really care. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Tell, tell him I thought it was a seven three seven for all I can. Anyway, it's okay. Good, lovely. I'm and glad we had this chat. joining yeah. us this week, uh, as always, dress to impress with his crisp shirts. It's Neville Bounds. Well, it may not be that crisp because I've been sitting on two aircraft today uh, for lengthy periods of time. <gasps> more of which later on in the show mm. uh, but uh, no it's it's been a funny old day um oh, how you and all <laughs> how a short flight can turn into um an, an event day, shall we say course, yeah. but, uh, have you have but you had your 3000 pcr test nev uh, no, I haven't, because oh. uh, Glasgow does not require that. <laughs> no. No. Although, actually, uh, right at the start of all this, of course, there were restrictions about going in and mm. out of Scotland, weren't there? Yeah, so, there were, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, No, we're OK, so uh, we're allowed to do that. It's lovely to have you uh, with us again this week, Nev, as always. And I'm looking forward to your um, travel tales mm. coming up later on. <laughs> Uh, and also joining us this week uh, across the pond is, of course, the uh, fourth member of our amazing team uh, here on the show. And uh, he's not in his usual home this week. So welcome, Armando. Hey, guys. Uh, preemptive apologies for the audio. I am in the mobile setup, meaning just an iPad. But yes, I am here at uh, Delta Airlines Training Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, accomplishing the ATP-CTP course, which is required for ATP um, certification here in the U.S. So I was lucky enough to get into Delta Airlines course, and I've been in the A320 sim for the last couple of days, and I got 
two more days to go. Ooh. Um, so, yes. Are we, allow- are we allowed to ask that. how it's going? Uh, you know, uh, it dispelled the myth. I, originally, I wasn't tremendously excited about flying the Airbus, but... And you're still not. Is, <laughs> you know, I've got a new appreciation for a different... We were talking about this in the pre-show, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's a little bit different kind of flying and... Uh, hey, you know what? I, I'm always up for flying anything new. As long as it's got wings, I'll try it. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, but the the, uh, the instructors are, are amazing. They're all retired Delta Airlines captains. Um, we actually got a couple uh, United captains, couple uh, one guy from American that, that are all retired. And strangely enough, or not strangely enough, I think they planned it this way, my entire class is military. Oh. So all, all 10 of us are, are military from the um, Air Force, uh, one Marine, one Coast Guard, and two Army. So, do you do you think that helped in in your case though? Do you think that helps like the learning processes involved because you're all essentially almost singing from the same song sheet? I know you obviously you'll all yeah. have slightly different backgrounds, but I mean obviously your background would be very different to someone who's come come at it from a purely commercial perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I, we have a uh, military learning. Um, this isn't to discount airline learning. Early airline learning is, is very difficult. It's very much a fire hose, yeah. especially nowadays. They send you home after you get your interview and your job offer with a bunch of electronic materials. You go home and study till your eyes are crossed, and then you come back and take a test. The military teaches you how to learn, so you come into it prepared, and it's a different type of skill to to constantly be learning in that fire hose environment. So they were able to speed pretty fast through some of the academic material within, within the regulations. Cause I think the FAA says that they have to spend a certain number of hours, but then uh, in the simulator, we jumped right into what Delta considers uh, 200 and 300 series exercises um, as opposed to, you know, you can skip an entire day on how to program an FMS, an FMS or, or uh, a flight management system because most of us have done it. So that, you know, that's two hours right there, one hour per person that you can just kind of skip ahead of just the buttonology of an FMS. So, wow. So, yeah, I think it's, I think we're getting a little bit uh, accelerated experience by having our military backgrounds. So I'm guessing they have had a few days in the, um, the 320 SIM then, Armando, you, you're, you can be signed off because you've got obviously a side stick and a takeoff and land button. And that's, that's pretty much it. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. It, it is. It, the first day was absolute. The first day we did a Cat Three Autoland. Uh, they just wanted to demonstrate the airplane's capabilities, and it's like mind blowing to me that you literally take off at 400 feet. You act. You activate the autopilot, and just, you just don't touch it until it uh, <laughs> comes to a stop on the runway at the other end. It, oh my gosh! It was so cool. I nerd out over this stuff, but. I don't know. I'm doing this. You can't see through my mask, but I have a big old smile in the sim, which nobody ever has a smile in the sim. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what you did mention just then, Armando, which I found very interesting. You said they teach you how to learn. And ah. I, I would say that that was a big thing missing from one of the schools, my, my secondary school that I attended. <laughs> I don't think they did teach us how to learn. And that's a quite a big thing isn't it It, it, it's a it's a small but very important uh, piece of uh, equipment to uh, uh, to have in your toolkit yeah yeah couldn't agree more wow okay 
I want to go on the sim. All right, let's get on with the show. I'm <laughs> waiting to hear from Ned. Yeah, Ned absolutely. A, a special treat for us today. So, um, better say hello to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room, I suppose, I think, guys. So, uh, let's have a look. Let's have a look and see who's in the room with us this week. All the usual family members. We've got Lee Davies. Hello, Lee. So he's just dipped out for a beer. Uh, we've got uh, Evan Shu. Hello to you, Evan. Must be about half whatever in half, the half past silly o'clock in the night yes absolutely hello to you jacob darlington brown uh hello to you mazus hello mazus sturman's in there as well good evening to you and graham haley nice to see graham haley in there in tonight uh with us john jester hope you're feeling better john and uh, mark webber webster hello to you gb's model zone uh we've got well, jonathan warner he's uh, obviously taking pictures of a b2 somewhere uh, our main man micah is also in the chat room with us tonight dirk s hello to you dirk dirk's just booked his hotel for the 400th so he's uh, already at rock and roll uh masha hello to you masha hope you're keeping well as well uh alan white hello to you alan and hopefully, Evan, I haven't missed anyone else. No, John Jester, Armando, oh, Armando and Nev is also. I've, I've heard also of them, yeah, room. I've heard of them too, yeah. So don't forget, if you are listening to our dulcet tones for an audio podcast and you want to see uh, just how stunningly gorgeous Nev looks in his crisp <laughs> shirt, take yourselves over to our YouTube page, uh, which is Plain Talking UK. Just search for us on there. Hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and also the bell icon next door to be notified when we are live and recording brand new episodes with Nev and his crisp shirts, as what? we are now. <laughs> so, <laughs> he loves it, really. Look at him, let's smile and bless him. I think we should have an episode sponsored by Charles Tirrett. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I don't see that I, as a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, next week I'm going to wear a shirt. That's it. Right. I'm wearing a shirt next week. Well, there you go. Nev uh, was talking to us. Nev is always rubbing in how great his travel experiences are. And um, the rest of us just kind of sit back and watch. And sometimes I'm listening to it from like the 37th row in, in my airplane when I'm going somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's where the labs are. Oh, Nev, right. Sorry, the, the small labs. Yeah. But Nev, Nev was uh, telling us this week that he had a special surprise for us about one of his uh, ex- a recent experience on BA. So not even we don't know about it. So Nev, do tell. Oh. Sir. Right. Well, um, I'd started off on Thursday because uh, I was, you know, how I go on about uh, flight deck PAs and so on, on some airlines, how inadequate they can be. Uh, Iberia was my last example uh, where all they offered was cabin crew 10 minutes to landing. And that was it. That was the entire PA. Um, so I thought, I know what I'll do. Uh, I will record a BA PA um, <laughs> on my flight up to Glasgow. Uh, and I've edited out people's names. So uh, when, when the captain introduces himself and is the first officer. So, uh, Matt, why don't you play that uh, first of all? A very good morning to you all. From the flight deck, it's the captain. On behalf of all the crew, I'd like to extend a very warm welcome aboard this British Airways operated service to Glasgow. First of all, thank you all for boarding so promptly. That's put us in an excellent position to uh, get away from Heathrow a few minutes ahead of schedule. The flight time to Glasgow, just one hour, and with that in mind, we'll get you there just as quickly and as safely as we possibly can. I'd like to introduce the rest of my team to you. My friend and colleague on the flight deck, uh, 
Good to see you first, officer. You've got a wonderful team of cabin crew taking care of you this morning. I know that JP and his team will do their very best to make your journey just as comfortable as they possibly can. However, I would like to emphasise that all of the crew are here primarily for your safety and for your security. Whilst on the subject of safety, may I also remind you of the British Airways seatbelt policy. We recommend to all of our customers that you keep your seatbelts fastened whenever you're seated. Well, that's all from me now. We're just awaiting the uh, very last few of your bags to be loaded into the hold. And as soon as that's done, we will be on our way. But in the meantime, once again, it's a pleasure to have you aboard. Now, isn't that a great PA? Isn't that what PAs should be like? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of actually a lot of information in that in that short sort of two minute um, two minute piece. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Now, I mean, that that was one thing. But then um, on the way back uh, today, this morning, I was on a 10 o'clock flight on an A319. Um, but we were doing a cross-bleed start of one of the engines. So we were starting an engine on the stand. And there was a nasty uh, ECAM warning coming up, I think, something to do with the, the fire loop, something like that. So... Um, that meant uh, engineers being called out and at the end of what was about an hour and a quarter I suppose because they kept us on the aircraft just in case it could be fixed um, they they cancelled the flight however the comms were absolutely superb from the flight deck the cabin crew really really good so that was fantastic so i even tweeted something up about that because i thought it was great and um so that was that was marvelous so then i went back to the lounge to have some uh, tuna sandwiches and some crisps and a cup of coffee <laughs> and uh that was great uh, got on the next flight which they put me on which was the 10 past one uh that was all great the only thing i would say about it which wasn't great coming back down was just as we were coming over Bovingdon, which is to the northwest of London, which is where you would normally do some holding if uh, there was a lot of air traffic coming into Heathrow, I heard the autopilot sound being uh, clicked off. And I thought, that's interesting. Anyway, the first officer flew the entire approach from Bovingdon all the way down to Heathrow, um, which was marvellous. No problem at all with that. But it was a bit... Uh, bit jiggly at times and it i don't know i think perhaps the autopilot could have done a better job but anyway that's that was my own opinion but that's not the point of the story really so we get to heathrow and the stands occupied uh, that's 20 minutes delay so then we're on a remote stand now and then the guidance system's not been turned on so we've had to have a um marshaller which was great eventually got off onto a bus and on that bus was a deadheading BA crew going from Glasgow to wherever the next flight was going to be. So they're on the bus with us. The bus breaks down. Oh, no. Uh, we are on the bus for 50 minutes between the remote stand area of Terminal 5 and the Terminal 5A it itself we can't we can't really get off it because even though the replacement bus has turned up behind the airport authority won't allow people to be walking around a secure area so that's that's fair enough 
I've got to say that the um, the first officer and the captain that were on that deadheading sector, that were on the same bus as us, were absolutely superb in trying to help people and communicating with them. Unfortunately, one or two people decided to have a go at these poor fellas uh, who were in the same boat as they were. And you should have heard some of the language and some of the... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I think just just not not being very grateful. Yes, and some of those people were off of the, the same flight that I was on, so they'd had a, a bit of a day of it, really. Um, but these guys, and actually there was a cabin crew there as well. So the, the girls that are on the, on the cabin crew, um, they're, they're not there to take that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, I think from a PR point of view, they did an absolutely superb job. And I would just like to appeal to some of those passengers that that were on the flight with us you know just moderate your language especially when clearly this is not the flight crew's fault and they're trying to do their very best to get your uh, get you to where you want to be again that's not their job but they they play the pr game uh, as many other air crew would have done i'm sure so that was just kind of that was my day today, but just spoiled a little bit by some pretty unreasonable passengers. And considering the way that BA had handled the whole thing, um, I, I think they did an absolutely marvellous job. And I, I would say I couldn't complain at all. I mean, that, the thing that disturbs me most about that, as you say, I mean, these guys have basically, you know, they've finished work for the day, essentially. They're just on the bus wanting to transition to wherever it is they're going to go next. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you know, <sighs> I don't know, perhaps the bus driver shouldn't have been on his own. I, I just don't think it's very fair that these poor BA uh, cabin crew were having to deal with something that was completely beyond their control. Yeah, I think the problem is that they um, that the bus driver clearly was, you know, radioing back to, to base to get them another bus sorted mm. out. Um, but there's people there that... Um, and frankly, you know, these are people, you know, in my age category, I would say, you know, probably... 40 to 65 probably something like that and they really should know better um and i just find it extraordinary um um that they could even think about behaving in that way um especially as you know the driver did the right thing to open the doors so that we weren't all you know because we're all kind of jammed in there a bit um so at least there was some some proper ventilation going on but it, it was just a real shame that um the end of the day you know that that was the main thing that i'm talking about um on the one hand i'm saying how well the airline handled it but Mm. on the other hand it just gives you a a snapshot and an insight of some of the crap that they have to put up with and i think it was uh, an absolute credit to the the crew and i think any flight crew would have done the same thing actually Mm. not not just bas but anybody um but no just just really well handled um with some difficult folks on board and they could have been you know they they could have very easily been forgiven for just having said uh do you know what I, you know that's not my you know that's not my department you know they could have very easily have have gone down that route but they that's not the route they chose which i, I think is why i find that so impressive if you see what i mean yeah it was great and and they nothing was too much trouble for them and even when one of the chaps started getting a little bit shirty with the first officer uh, mm. he was politely put in his place uh, i i would say i think the fo was an ex raf gentleman and um yeah no 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 two ways about it this, this guy wasn't going to take anything but nonetheless he was just trying to calm the situation down i think it was a mm. great great credit to the crew really good excellent 
Yeah, when I was when I was working at the airline, the uh, actually was the airport. So I was Atlanta based, and it was when you went to get your badge in Atlanta, they emphasize that the fact that it doesn't doesn't actually matter what airline you work for. Most people don't know the difference. They just see a uniform, they see a badge. You're representing your airline. You're representing the other airlines. You're representing the airport. Um, therefore, it's in everybody's best interest to just kind of defuse these situations. It's kind of funny. I, you know, in my little pilot costume, I would walk through the terminal, and the most the question I was asked the most was, "Where's my gate?" <laughs> uh, really, I, I answered most of my interactions were people asking for directions as to which way to go. I could have easily just walked away and said, I don't know, look at the signs, look at the board. Um, but even unless I was absolutely late, and even then, I would always take the time to stop, walk them to one of the departure boards and find their destination, find their gate, and then show them up on the signs, which was very clear, but at least up on the signs saying, hey, sea gates are this way go this way it's about a 10 minute walk blah, blah, blah. and 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 atlanta is a delta hub and i was not a delta pilot but you know that that you you are representing delta because because that person may get on social media if you just treat them bad and and mm. next thing you know it's a delta pilot or a ba pilot when it was a you know yeah, another true. on the other thing i would say about it when the aircraft went tech originally again the captain's walking through the um, the whole of the aircraft talking to folks and and yes there, there were 46 people on our flight uh, that had connecting flights um and a lot of those would not have been able to take them um but you know again the, the whole communication and, and the way it was handled was was really well done and it's such a pity that uh, some people um either don't appreciate it or, or, or they should just listen to themselves it, it, it became comical at one point because mm-hmm. they're just coming up with completely unreasonable requests like who's going to pay for my car park ticket then <laughs> Right. Well, okay. you are, and you're to claim yeah. it back from BA if you want to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I should think there wasn't a lot left of your bottom. Uh, you, you, you're biting your tongue, or biting your lip. I should say. I, I, well, again, um, <laughs> this, the, the advantage of wearing a face covering is that, of course, people can't see <laughs> the spurks. <laughs> uh, uh, um, you know. But honestly, I, I just. I, I get to the point now where uh, the, the, these people, uh, I, I just find the behaviour mm. completely unacceptable. But yeah. again, could not praise the crew enough. Really, really good stuff. And uh, I just thought it was worth spending 10 minutes or so just, yeah. just talking about that because um, I don't think that the crews, both flight deck crews and cabin crew, uh, get enough praise in, in these sort of situations. Amen to that. Amen to that. Right. Okay. Now we probably better move on now. Otherwise, uh, otherwise we won't have time for anything else. So, uh, Carlos. Yeah. Let's uh, let's uh, press the uh, commercial news button, Mister Smith. So kicking off this week's first news story, this one is on the aviation, australianaviation.com.au. And the flagship Qantas A380 returns to passenger service. So the first Qantas Airbus A380 has officially returned to passenger service after nearly a two-year hiatus with Victor Hotel Oscar Quebec Bravo taking to the skies officially as QF11 from Sydney to LAX. 
The aircraft took off from Sydney Kingsford Smith International Airport uh, right on schedule at 9.44 p.m. on Tuesday en route to Los Angeles. Now, the aircraft touched down at LAX uh, just under 14 hours later at uh, 4.39 p.m. local time. And the aircraft is scheduled to complete the return leg of the journey at LAX to Sydney as QF12 at 8.15 LA time on Tuesday evening. So this marks not only the first passenger service on board Qantas's flagship A380 aircraft since the early days of the pandemic, but also Oscar Quebec Bravo's first passenger flight in 659 days. Blimey, I bet that took some cobwebs and dusting again. <laughs> yeah, but... uh, the last time uh, Victor Hotel Oscar Quebec Bravo carried passengers was on the 20th of March, 2020. Uh, it comes after Qantas announced it would dramatically fast track its return of its uh, Super Jumbo 2 passenger service from April to January in order to ease staffing pressures due to COVID-19 issues. Uh, Oscar, uh, Quebec Bravo, formerly named Hudson Fish, or Feish, Fish, Feish, I don't know. Grant McCarran will be emailing us in with that one. Uh, <laughs> one of the Qantas founders returned to Australia, and Australia from overseas in November after being stored at Qantas's purpose-built A380 hangar at LAX since the early days of the pandemic. Since returning home, Hudson Feish, Fish, begins with F, underwent extensive maintenance checks, which included the replacement of all 22 wheels and 16 brakes, as well as all of the emergency equipment on board. Uh, Since then, the aircraft has been regularly performing short flights over Sydney, as both the aircraft and its crew are brought back online. On Monday last week alone, the one day before the A380 took off as QF11, uh, Quebec Bravo performed six check flights, each being around 45 minutes in duration. Quebec Bravo was initially scheduled to see cabin refurbishment prior to its return to passenger service. However, crew scheduling chaos in light of current Omicron 19 outbreak partnered with Queensland's harsh quarantine rules meant that uh, Quebec Bravo's return had been expedited with no time to spruce up the interior. So they just left all the dust sheets and everything on. Uh, Meanwhile, a second Qantas uh, A380, Quebec Delta, Touchdown in Sydney on Monday after spending 674 days in storage at LAX uh, ahead of the planned return to service. Uh, notably, Quebec Delta has already received its interior refurbishment with updated business class suites and increased capacity for premium economy passengers. Now, I'll tell you what, it must be one hell of a check after an aircraft has been kind of sitting there for that length of time um, well of course i mean there's been a lot of i mean they're not the only people to get their a380s but it was i'm sure the because the ba ones are now back in service aren't they nev yes many of them are yeah not, mm. not sure all 12 are back but yeah. um uh, at least mm. six or seven are to my knowledge yeah but then i i, I don't know i suppose cause, i mean because some airlines went down the route where they were sort of doing like regular like sort of like hop flights weren't they to keep them functioning and all that kind of thing because they they don't like sitting do they these aircraft they don't like just sitting around no uh, during, during covid there was there was a maintenance regime mm. they would run up the engines but generally a lot of those airplanes were taped up and buttoned up and pickled uh you know they they put special desiccants and stuff and remove oils and put different kinds of oils and in the engines and all kinds of systems but yeah, it is, it's quite the process for any airplane, but for an A380, I can imagine. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Big old engines. <laughs> in it's good to see them coming back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of these being failed. Or there has been a lot of these phased out. And I mean, mm. you know, we, we've seen these being scrapped now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is always... Well, at least there's parts um, everywhere for them. Exactly. Or, or tags right. hanging from my board. Or my tags board hanging here. from your board, yes. Okay, good, yeah. lovely. Should we move anyway, on? move on, Matt, to the next story. Ryan Air, yeah. and uh, it's all about um, near misses. Indeed, absolutely. So now I, I want to say, first of all, yes, this happened two years ago, and yes, the report was published in November of 21, but I, I guess in all the excitement and stuff, we sort of missed it. Uh, it's in the media at the moment for some reason, which is why uh, we're highlighting it. So two Ryanair planes narrowly avoided crash investigation finds uh two ryanair aircraft with almost 400 passengers and crew on board narrowly avoided a collision on a runway at malaga airport in spain two years ago in what aviation investigators classified as a serious incident an official investigation by the spanish civil aviation authority has revealed that an air traffic controller at malaga allowed ryanair flight to uh, land at the same time as the other Ryanair aircraft was given permission to enter the runway and take off. Uh, The incident occurred around 7.50pm local time on September the 11th 2019 when a Ryanair flight call sign Ryanair 9UD from Hamburg with 196 people on board was coming in to land at Malaga. Uh, Simultaneously the other Ryanair aircraft call sign Ryanair 75JV uh, with 185 passengers and crew was preparing to take off on a flight to Liverpool. The Spanish investigation board, the CIAIAC, analysed that the aircraft on approach, uh, Ryanair 9UD, notified air traffic control, the controller that they were proceeding to 500 feet. The air traffic controller responded to the aircraft Ryanair 9UD, instructing it to continue and wait, uh, sorry, continue and await landing clearance. Uh, at that moment, Ryanair aircraft uh, 9UD was established on final at 1.7 nautical miles from the threshold of runway 13. An aircraft Ryanair 75JV was taxiing towards runway 13. The air traffic controller did not recognize the, Im- the imminent danger resulting from the loss of regulatory separation and continued with the initial plan, instructing the aircraft to continue on approach without informing the aircraft craft that this was about to take off uh, so without sorry the aircraft that was about to take off given that the inbound traffic was 1.7 nautical miles from the runway threshold and the outbound aircraft was midway between the holding point and the runway threshold the air traffic control controller could have prevented a loss of separation and therefore a potentially hazardous situation between the inbound and outbound traffic in a single runway configuration by instructing the arriving traffic to abort its approach and cancelling the takeoff of the taxiing aircraft however the malaga local uh, tower controller cleared ryanair 9ud aircraft to land with the preceding traffic in view on runway 13 when it was at 200 feet of altitude above mean sea level an aircraft ryanair 75 jv was on its uh, takeoff run on runway 13 at a speed of 90 knots that's ground speed uh, the distance between the two aircraft was 0.4 
nautical miles. The landing was authorised when the aircraft was practically above the runway threshold, allowing it to cross said threshold while the outbound aircraft was still on the runway. Moreover, there was no degree of assurance that the regulatory separation could be maintained as the aircraft on approach was travelling faster than the aircraft on takeoff, increasingly reducing the separation between the aircraft. The air traffic controller failed to anticipate the required separation between the aircraft. Ryanair 9UD and Ryanair 75JV occupied the runway on the ground simultaneously for a period of one second before the forward landing gear of the Ryanair 75JV lifted from the runway. The shortest separation between the two aircraft was 520 metres, that's 0.28 nautical miles. I mean, I suppose, I don't know, I mean, it, there's at the end of the day, there's supposed to be a, uh, you know, bigger separation here, isn't there? That's the, uh, the long and the short of it, and that hasn't uh, that hasn't happened here. Now, uh, Armando in Zoom has very kindly raised his hand, which doesn't help uh, my thing. So if you could unraise your hand, I would be eternally grateful. Uh, please, oh, Armando. Okay. And we will cut to you straight away, obviously. But, <laughs> I love uh, that. But, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, uh, Armando has something to say about this, everyone. <laughs> I didn't know that was a function. I was actually just trying it in the middle of the show. Yeah, yeah, it worked. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> Go on. Superb. Thanks, Professor Matt. Yeah, lovely. Um, yeah. yeah, I do have All something to say about this one. Yeah. What what an incredible failure. <laughs> uh this is obviously not good at all. The no. controllers should have recognized this. The weather was clear, it was eighty five hundred foot. Um uh, the ceiling was eighty five hundred feet and the visibility was ten kilometers or greater. So uh failure number one was was the air traffic controllers they should have sent the other aircraft the landing aircrafts around um also um i don't place any any blame on the taking off crew uh, the departing crew because it is extremely hard unless unless you know from some other source like adsb or your ipad or your efb how close the other airplane is and even that's a little bit lagged mm. um it's impossible to tell at night the the distance of, of the approaching aircraft's lights but the arriving crew should have gone gone around, especially with a, a clear day. There's two runways there. Um, they should have uh, absolutely declared a go around for two aircraft this big to be on the runway at the same time. Um, and it's a little bit different, right? So, so here in Atlanta, Dallas, Boston, like these Class B airports, aircraft are taking off. And, and Captain Nick talks about it a lot on uh, APG, how it's very different in Europe than it is here in the U.S. Like you could have uh, two aircraft uh, in a line on final that are already cleared to land, and there will be both departures and um, aircraft waiting to depart between between you getting cleared to land and and the three other aircraft in front of you. But this is they're very well trained. That's a uh, it's a thing that they do regularly and the pilots know what to expect. The controllers know what to expect over there in Europe, especially a small airport like Malaga. Um, this, this should have never taken place. The, the, the controller, there was a, there was a key note in that report that was the controller decided to continue with the initial plan. So I don't know 
I don't know what there's a there's a breakdown in risk management there because mm. for somebody to be so locked into was were they was the controller afraid of retribution? Were they afraid of looking silly? Were they afraid of something? What what? That's such a basic thing that why did the controller um, continue with their initial plan when they knew it wasn't going to work? If you listen to the guys at opposing bases, they are always talking about how have a backup plan. Or you're always mm-hmm. thinking of the, the what if game, and um, yeah, I I just and and guys in the chat room, you know, Captain Jeff is in the chat room. Oh, why did the landing flight crew not initiate a go around? They could, you can, even at night on a clear night, you can absolutely see the lights of an, of another 737 on the runway. They should have gone around at that point. Mm. Not a big deal. You practice it. They could have sidestepped. Um, do, it was just, uh, do you think it's because yeah. they're, they're sort of almost to their own fault? And I, just, I know there's no necessarily any any blame on the pilots here but do you think it's it's almost so ingrained that what you're hearing in your ears from air traffic control is almost gospel and that's like you know is that maybe why they were sort of willing to carry on as they i mean perhaps they shouldn't have been and there's you know there's lots of reasons why not but you know it it, is there a chance that that might not even have entered into their head that there was a potential issue on the runway because the controller in their ears is telling them everything's okay. So there's a couple of the issues that I would be interested to find out in the full report, which are mostly human performance factors. So, so yes, Matt, you're absolutely right. That's called fixation of an idea in CRM, right? So they were committed. They're, they're trusting ATC to do um, their job. They could have been on their fourth leg of the day. They could have been fatigued. That could have been a late report for them. They could have been um, over-focused or hyper-focused on the automation as opposed to looking outside, mm. even on a clear day. Um, you know, they're, they're, most of the pilots here in the U.S. have heard of the uh, American Airlines speech, Children of the Magenta Line. Um, and and we're always backing, even a visual approach, we're, you're backing it up with, with a some kind of guidance, some kind of guided approach, whether that's an RNAV approach, an ILS approach, and it's very easy to get hyper-focused without the right experience on the automation of it and and not be looking outside. Now, at yeah. that point, they should have absolutely been looking outside and seeing the lights, but they um, here in the U.S., you get used to it. You know what looks right, what doesn't look right, but the controllers are probably going to beat you to it. But at the end of the day, it's it's your job, especially the landing aircraft, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and, and I'll wrap up my, my contribution with this. this. This is this continues to happen, right? So this is um, uh, runway incursions are are a common thing. If you look at the, if you just Google runway incursions, even 2018, 2019, 2020, they're still happening. Um, there's all kinds. There could be ATC errors. There could be missed clearances, um, runway crossings. There's intersecting runways with land and hold short operations. Those uh, mishaps or, or in close calls are still happening. Obviously, the the most famous one of these was was the KLM Pan Am crash in Tenerife, yeah. right? That was 580 people that died because an aircraft crossed. You had you had a phraseology error uh, as a contributing cause, and then the fog there. There's there's no reason this this um, this should have happened. Mm-hmm. But um, here's another one: was Air Canada in San Francisco just a couple of years ago, right? They, I mean. There were other crews on the ground. There was like United Airlines crews on the ground saying, hey, that doesn't look quite right. And it, and it was the controller that said, hey, you're lined up on the wrong runway. Go around, go around. Um, they had to say it a, a couple of times, but um, there you go. I, 
there's no reason this should this should continue to happen, but it still does. I don't get it. Indeed, indeed, it's um, you know, it's. I mean, it, it sounds like you know, five hundred feet and all that kind of thing. But because that, in real, re, you know, in real terms, is nothing, is it? I mean, especially at the speed at which these aircraft are moving and the size of these aircraft, that 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 it's it, it, a, potentially a very different story could have taken a place here. Sure. Yeah, yeah it's a thirteen thousand yeah. foot runway at Malaga, runway one three, and if these two aircraft were. 0.28 nautical miles apart both on the runway mm. that is that's way too close that one is halfway down and the other one's touching down and uh if the other aircraft had rejected the, t- the takeoff there would this would have been a, a terrible disaster uh, Dirk, Dirk S is saying in the chat room actually additional factor to uh for thank you Alfie uh for the disaster on Tenerife was overwrapping radio com it was yeah, yeah. it couldn't they couldn't hear each other. Yeah, wow. The radio okay. transmission being blocked. Indeed. Okay, anyway, uh, we better move on. And, yeah, Nev, uh, yeah. Uh, you've got uh, the world's, or well, we had some top tens last week, didn't we? But we've got uh, the world's busiest routes, Nev. Yes. Uh, could I just say something about the last story? Um, oh, of course, yes, sorry. Superb runway utilisation, though. That ATC fellow should have got a raise for that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, very efficient, stacking them in nicely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah quite. I always complaining, but there's not enough proper runway utilisation. Well, there you go. Well, there we are, yes, absolutely. Yes. Little... Um, yeah, this is an interesting <laughs> one. On simpleflying.com, uh, it says the world's top 20 routes in 2021 have been revealed. All 20 routes were domestic and most were in Asia. Data doesn't indicate how many passengers were carried, how full each flight was or what each passenger paid, but it shows the busiest routes by the flights operated. Uh, the information is from a comprehensive report by Sirium that looked at the overall performance last year and what may happen in the current year. And we're going to put a link to the report uh, in the show notes. Yep. Um, of course, being from Asia, the pronunciation of these airports <laughs> is going to be a bit haphazard. Do you know, I, I can't help but wonder if John has done this to us on purpose, if I'm brutally honest. Uh, you know, while he's tucked up in bed because he's got a fly tomorrow, here we are struggling with the... <laughs> so I'm, I'm just going to say I'm, I'm out already. I'm, I'm, I'm out. Not, I'm not going to go through all 20 because that is just going to be a car crash. Should we, should we go with the top 10? Should we, should I think, we, uh, yeah, yes, yeah. I, I think okay. we'll go... Top 10, all read by Nev. Oh, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and lovely. points for correct pronunciation. Okay, lovely. All right. Well, there won't be any, will there? <laughs> Good luck. Don't offend anyone, Nev. We're all counting on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No pressure. So no pressure. Let, let's, let's go from sort of halfway down then. Um, <laughs> so uh, Guangzhou to Shanghai. The, these are bi-directional routes, by the way. Wow. Um, Bogota to Medellin. Uh, Hanoi to Ho Chi Minh. Beijing to Shanghai, Shanghai to Shenzhen, Mexico City to Cancun, Haneda, uh, Tokyo to Sapporo. Uh, f- I'm going to get into trouble for this next one. But it's just, an airport. just use the three-letter pronunciation. No, no, don't there. use the three-letter. Yeah, give you a but clue. It, it goes to uh, Tokyo, Haneda. Yes. Um, uh, Jeddah. I, I want to say it's Fukuoka, if I remember correctly. Yes, well, let's yeah. hope it is. <laughs> I'm being brave. Are you uh, impressed? Jeddah to yeah. Riyadh, uh, Seoul to Busan, Gimhai. And uh, the top one, uh, which um, was 71,388 arriving flights tracked, uh, was Jeju to Seoul. So, Jeju. Um, there wow. We 
Well, I think you yeah. did very well there, Nev. There are little yeah, random flaws, uh, I think, for Nev. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> there's some easier ones like Cape Town to Johannesburg and yes. Las Vegas to Los Angeles. But, yes, uh, yeah. But as 90% of these were from Asia. <laughs> uh, yeah. And if you want to hear Nev say the fourth uh, name on that list, wait until after the show. I'll, say, I'll, gi- I'll give you a clue. The The airport code is F-U-K. Uh, we'll leave- uniform yeah. kilo. We'll, 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 we'll leave it there, shall we? Uh, anyway. <laughs> Armando, dig us out of this hole please <laughs> oh well john jester probably has been there he, he's a uh, few coke uh few coca okay Fucoca. there we go lovely we go. very Oof, good we've made it <laughs> <laughs> i'm scared moving on uh <laughs> all right well uh this next story is not going to surprise anybody it's from a variety of sources if you've been trying to travel anywhere in the united states or the world you've probably been delayed and uh over the holidays especially we saw quite a few cancellations i think um close to four thousand cancellations uh, of flights over the next or the last couple weeks um the first one was reported for delta airlines uh eight thousand Delta Airlines employees have tested positive for COVID-19 in the past four weeks. Um, That's 8,000 out of 75,000 total airline employees. Um, The CEO, Ed Bastian, confirmed that the Omicron variant has ripped through the company and that employees are returning to work, allowing operations to continue. But that uh, the call in the the sick outs plus the winter storms um, have led to a cancellation of more than 20,000 U.S. flights since Christmas Eve. And the first week of January, that's just from um, from Delta. Uh, one mile at a time reported that 3,000 United Air- Airline employees uh, are out with COVID. None are hospitalized, thank goodness. Um, the CEO there, Scott Kirby, uh, said that, uh, yep, 3,000 employees. And uh, at Newark Airport, nearly one-third of the workforce is out sick. Um yeah, so there are a lot of vaccinated employees or some numbers, but um, the uh, CEO of United emphasized that none of their vaccinated employees that are out sick are hospitalized. Um, that's from United Airlines. And then from FedEx, the, the FedEx warned on Friday that staffing problems due to the rising infection rates among pilots and ground personnel in its air network combined with the winter weather uh, are slowing deliveries. They said in a statement that they're implementing contingency plans and adjusting operations to minimize delays while continuing to provide the best possible service to our customers in these difficult times. Uh, volume currently moving through the network will be prioritized for processing. Now we've talked a little bit about the winter storms last week. I was caught in the middle of it. I was coming back from Puerto Rico when uh, we got caught in that winter storm up in Washington, D.C. Um, our flights were canceled. Uh, I was traveling with five and we ended up just running a car and driving home through the storm. But uh, yeah, there you go. So this is uh, doesn't look like it's going to improve anywhere anytime soon. Um, going over to the chat room, uh, John is saying that his airline is about 26% out sick. Um yeah, the uh, Jacob Darlington Brown, their major airline in Australia is getting hit pretty bad. They're reducing their schedule because the crews are isolating. So this is not isolated to the, just the U.S. It's uh, all over the world right now. Thankfully, you know, as we know, it's not as as lethal. 
but still it's in the travel industry it's gonna it's gonna ripple through and cause some delays and many cancellations so stay safe out there folks i think also i can tell one of my customers that asked me yesterday where the heck his fedex package is i should just refer him to this uh, story <laughs> yes yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah, and that's not you know that's everywhere. That's UPS, Atlas, DHL. Yeah, they're all um, everybody. Everybody's suffering in, in the industry. And and the thing is, it's not just the pilots, right? Uh, you have all your ground personnel, your support personnel, security personnel in the airports. Um, the more people that are out, the 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 more these operations slow down, right? And some of these operators, like the uh, Swissport, you know, the, the third party operators that run all the ground operations. If you think that a third of their workforce is out, that's going to affect every airline that's running in and out of that airport. So, mm. yeah, it's um, you know, there, there, there's still a lot of dust to settle on all of this, isn't there? You know, there's, uh, uh, it's not over yet. I think, as they say, hopefully the dust won't settle on people's parcels. True. Anyway, so we're going to go to thedrive.com for the next story. Uh, going to the future for this next story. Uh, Spaceship-like electric aircraft Alice prepares for its first flight. So, Eviations out of this world looking all electric aircraft Alice was out in the open this week as it underwent engine testing leading up to its first flight. Alice was spotted this week at Arlington Municipal Airport or Kilo Alpha Whiskey Oscar, north of Seattle, Washington, where it performed engine testing in preparation for upcoming high-speed taxi tests. Aviation photographer, uh, photographer Jeremy Dwyer Lindgren of JDL Multimedia snapped some of the images of Alice, which uh, the war zone subsequently obtained. Uh, aviation CEO Omar Bar Yav. Uh, told Flying Magazine on Monday that while the company doesn't want to commit to a first flight date yet, it feels there are only five to six nice weather testing days away from starting the campaign. Oh, I'm looking at these pictures, what Matt's put on the screen. It does look quite nice. Uh, according to Global Aviation Resource, however, the test didn't go well. Uh, the site reported that the plane's second engine refused to start during the week's test, uh, triggering a shutdown of the first engine. Uh, an early configuration of Alice made its first appearance at the Paris Air Show back in 2019, at which time the company uh, claimed the aircraft would reduce uh, maintenance and operating costs by up to 70%. Uh, Aviation's all-electric aircraft features a fly-by-wire system made by Honeywell and is powered by a high-energy density batteries that feed two tail-mounted 640-kilowatt at Magni 650 motors manufactured by Magnix uh, that push five-bladed propellers. In its uh, commuter configuration, the aircraft can accommodate nine passengers and a crew of two, and Aviation is also planning an executive configuration that seats six passengers in larger, more luxurious seating, and a cargo configuration that includes forward and aft offering access to a 450-cubic-foot cargo bay. Uh, Alice has a maximum range, this is the all-important bit for electrical-powered vehicles, uh, range of 440 nautical miles, uh, carries a maximum payload of 2,500 pounds, its service ceiling is around 32,200 feet, and a maximum cruise speed of 250 knots. Uh, the company claims Alice requires just 30 minutes of charging time per flight hour, meaning it could be recharged while unloading and loading cargo or passengers. 
Global Logistics firm DHL announced a provisional order of 12 Alice cargo craft last year, writing that the company had found the perfect partner with Aviation, uh, with whom they can take off into a new era of sustainable aviation. It does look nice, I will say. Miles High is saying in a chat room, uh, powered by 1,000 Duracell Max battery. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, it really makes me think of the advancements that we've made with with computing power, right? I mean, what do you think of, of the evolution from from the propeller airplane and the the piston powered air, airliners to the jet age? That was a huge revolution. But now that we have the computing power to make the most aerodynamically efficient aircraft, they're starting to take on some pretty funny shapes. I mean, they look like cartoons out of my kids' books, but but you can tell in that picture that for this aircraft they're using the fuselage for lift. It's got a flat bottom and a round top, like a, like the cross section of a wing. So even the, 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 the fuselage is creating lift. And I think Neil Clothley was talking about that from Fairdare, how their advances in, in aerodynamic, um, what computational fluid, fluid dynamics, they're, they're able to just come up with these incredibly efficient designs. Um, very cool. And, and, and the cargo operators, this is, you know, when you talk about like Empire Airlines, uh, Mountain Air Cargo, they're using Cessna Caravans, which is exactly the same size airplane. And all they do is they fly out from the outstation to the hub at, you know, 8 o'clock at night. They unload everything. And then the next morning at 5 a.m., they fly back to the outstation. And that's it. That's that's all they use. So this is perfect for an electric aircraft that can carry a bunch of weight. Is uh, you know, 45-minute flight into the hub. They sit around all night, and then they fly back the next day, and then... Ch- plug it into the wall or whatever they do. Uh, Dirk S uh, is saying 30 minutes of charging time with three and a half thousand megawatt charger. Uh, also, um, what was the comment on the, there we go. Jacob Darlington Brown in the chat room says as well, at 400 nautical miles, isn't very far. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, but it, these are test flights, I suppose, aren't they really? I mean, yeah. I guess, You've got it. It's like it's like like with all of these things, isn't it? It's got to start somewhere, hasn't it? The, you know, there's. It's. I mean, you know, I, I I remember like the electric cars only you know started off with very well. I mean, the the ranges are still not fantastic, I know, but they are definitely going up. You know, it is starting to reach a point where they are you know usable and and like we, again with the advances of fast charging and and things like that, you can you know you, you can do a longer journey now where you can get almost like is it eighty five or ninety percent of your battery uh, fully charged in like thirty minutes, which is you know I mean we've all spent at least thirty minutes at a service station haven't we you know so you know it's, it's, i still i still think it's the future i you know we've we've got to come up with something we get in there yeah okay absolutely so matt uh where are we going to for this one oh, we're going to uh, someone getting their type rating this is good indeed uh so this is on the uh plane and pilot mag.com and the headline is pilot with paraplegia gets cirrus jet type rating it's hard to get a jet a, a type rating uh, there is so much to learn and so much great flying you need to do uh with to get uh, that little annotation on the back of your plastic faa ticket so when clayton schmelt uh went to get his type rating in the Cirrus SF50 Vision Jet, there was all uh, there was all of that he could look forward to. Uh, but uh, there's more. Schme- uh, S- uh, Smelts was 
uh, has paraplegia and uses a chair. Uh, so when it came to uh, getting uh, typewriter, he also needed some adaptive technology to enable him to do things that pilots are that that uh, to do the do things that pilots of the vision jet and most planes typically use their legs for. Uh, that adaptive technology is brilliant with a pair of hand operated controls uh, right uh, and uh, right at the seat edge for rudder control and a long lever on the right uh, for operating the brakes. So not only can Smelt call himself the world's newest SF-50 pilot, but he also, uh, but he's also helped pave the way for others who can use such adaptive technology in the SF-50 in the future, which is a, which is absolutely the way forward, isn't it here? It's uh it's a great idea. And I, I, pres- I mean, my, Mike Wildman, uh, presumably he has, uh, he's had sort of like similar, uh, you know, adaptations done as well for for this sort of thing i guess no <laughs> oh yes you're expecting me to say something there weren't you yes um, yes uh, he has yes yeah indeed um, it's and um no it, really interesting actually um i think that um that there's going to be, well i get the feeling that there's a lot more this could be a more popular thing for a lot of people as absolutely well. um, so yeah Indeed. I mean, is there any reason why they have to use the feet in that? Why can't all aircraft be like that, where it's all sort of hand controlled rather than the feet? Is there Armando? I'm sure has a a reason, um, perhaps why they chose that route in the first place. But you think, you know, with with the adaptation of of the technology involved, um, you know, uh, you, you don't need the power, the strength, if you like, of the legs to control these levers and things now with this fly by wire technology. So. You know. Yeah, actually, leave that picture that that you have up right there. You can yep. see that they've modified the um, the two controls that yep. that he's using right there are the rudder pedals, and then the um, he's probably using that that extra handle that's sitting there yeah. on his right side is is some kind of modification, maybe brakes, um, probably brakes. And yeah. then, and then you can absolutely do a software mod that has the aileron and the rudders linked, so you can steer on the ground with the ailerons. Um, there would be some limitations with that, but yeah, there's a there's a long history of uh, disabled uh, pilots mm. getting back into the cockpit and, and doing stuff. Usually, it's in, in uh, experimental aircraft where you can kind of you know start modifying them. But but the the FAA will if you come up with an idea. Yeah, and and you can get a field approval for something. Um, there, there's, I won't say a lot, but there there have been many previous cases. To do it in a jet is pretty impressive. So, mm. well done, well done to him to to have modified this vision jet. So very cool. Absolutely, very cool indeed. So Nev, you've got uh, the next story, and uh, this is all about that uh, crash on the golf course. Mm, bit of a near miss, wasn't it? This is on the Comet.net, uh, PlaneLogger.com, FlightRadar24.com, and AviationSafety.net. Um, it says that a light aircraft, which was a Vans RV6 uh, registration Golf Oscar Papa Alpha Romeo, crash landed on a golf course 
on Sunday afternoon, just metres away from people playing golf. The incident happened at Chesfield Downs Golf and Country Club in Gravely, which is situated next to an airstrip for light aircraft. Eyewitness Jamie Hicken, who was playing a round of golf on the course at the time of the incident, said after its first contact with the ground, it bounced up and veered towards me and my playing partner head on. The plane came to rest about 25 to 30 yards away from where I was. Uh, I was first on the scene and called 999. Fortunately, nobody was injured and the cause of the crash is as yet unknown. A nasty moment, definitely. Mm. Indeed, as you say, a very, very near yeah, miss the, indeed. The RV-6 is... Uh RV-6 is an experimental home-built airplane. If you guys remember when we did the seating fly-in, do you remember we walked around those hangars and there was a, a gentleman building one? Oh, yes, yeah. that's right. Um, yes. With the I think that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was in that old paint booth and, and he had all the, the, the clickies or clickets or whatever it's called um, to, to, you know, make the rivet holes. Um, but this is, they're, they're a very stable airplane. The RV-6s and all the vans, RVs are have a big sort of uh, straight wing and are very forgiving. And it's hard for a pilot, especially when it's your own airplane, to make the decision that as soon as the engine goes out, the airplane belongs to the insurance company. So all you're doing is, is looking for a spot to land it, preserve it as much as you can, but it, it's all about preservation of life at that point and, and reducing the amount of energy that you're going in there. You're, we're, we're always looking for golf courses, to be honest. Mm, they may, yeah, yeah. you know. 400 yards makes a great landing area when you're when you're down at 40 miles per hour with full flaps and no engine you know it's it if you buckle the gear like like he did it really only takes about i don't know less than 100 yards to stop wow like the airplane will come to a stop yeah uh, and you're going to walk away from it if you're in a low energy state and of course the golf course can be easily mended <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, and the insurance will take care of that, right? Yeah. Like, as long as you walk away, you can you can deal with yeah. whatever. True, true. Indeed. So, Armando, we're going over to uh, Australia for the next story. Yeah, this is just indicative of the, <laughs> despite the last story about COVID running rampant through the industry, they are hiring. Everybody's hiring. Regionals are hiring. Majors are hiring. Uh, cargo's hiring everybody's hiring and one of the newest u.s airlines breeze airlines is tackling their pilot shortage by paying their pilots a little bit more and hiring pilots from australia so these airlines have started um i know um i think i can say this but but delta airlines is public knowledge is hiring 200 pilots a month that that is limited by their training schedule I know American Airlines, uh, Piedmont Airlines, all the regional SkyWest are all hiring, PSA, GoJet. um, And uh, David Nealman, who founded this airplane, if you guys remember, he founded JetBlue Airways. Um, But he founded Breeze a couple of years ago, and he is reaching out to Australia to fill their needs. And I think there's uh, work visas involved in that. Um, The pay, um, they're looking at first officers, for the A220 at Breeze being around $68 per hour. They raised that about $13 um, per hour. So that's pretty good for for a small airline like this, flying on the A220. That's really only about $20 less than than uh, a major, um, and then probably $10 less than a low-cost carrier. 
So a pretty good first officer pay there for, for this kind of airplane. Um, and then uh, the Australian part of it is under the E3 work visa program. And they are actually other airlines. There's Commuter and ExpressJet have used this program also to hire Australian pilots uh, into the U.S. So by the time this story was written, there was 120 applicants for the program from Australia. Um, and that's, you know, pretty cool. Uh, I'm sure the Australian airlines are also hiring, but um, similar hiring news. This is pretty big news was uh, Delta Airlines. Sorry, we're talking about a lot about Delta Airlines today, but um, they have just removed their requirement for a four-year degree, for a bachelor's degree. That's been traditional at all airlines, part of their hiring process, but they have decided that they're looking for quality, quality of time built, quality of experience over just an arbitrary um, hard requirement for a four-year degree. So now if you have a a two-year degree, an associate's degree, you're working on college, um, you can apply to Delta Airlines. It will still certainly help. It's a points-based system at most airlines uh, if you have your degree, but that's just uh, one factor combined with many other factors to include experiences, um, other things on your resume, your, you know, gender, minorities, affiliations, military, you know, all these other things get considered, but but Delta is the first major to to say that a four-year degree is not required. So there you go. I must admit, I was the time. I was quite surprised um, by that story. I was quite surprised that um, that I, I don't know. I, I guess I kind of assumed that you know. I didn't. I, I must admit, I didn't realize you needed a degree prior to this point in order to be a, a pilot. Uh, an airline pilot, yeah. An airline pilot. Uh, just a surprise. Just Yeah, just a big surprise, really, for me. At today's current exchange rate, that $68 per hour for flying the A220 is 50 quid in UK pounds, Matt. Okay. Flying A220. But remember, that's, a, that's per flight hour, and there are minimum flight hour guarantees per month. Yeah. Regardless of if you fly. So if, if you have a... a a 70 hour per month guarantee that's arbitrary number um you will get paid for 70 if you fly less than that let's say you're on reserve you're you're going to get paid for 70 no matter what and if you fly over that then you're going to get paid uh over 70 what you actually fly and that's just base pay that doesn't include all the other premium plays pays of um base profit sharing things like that so it's not bad money i mean 70 a year to yeah. To be in the right seat is is pretty good. And that, remember, that's just first year pay. First year, you're you're on probation. Some airlines is six months. Some airlines is full year. The second year pay usually goes up quite a bit, at least ten percent. Right. Okay. Now's need, the time. Go apply. We need to, we need to move to the <laughs> move to we need to move to the US, Matt, and become pilots. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, there is the small issue of me not being keen uh, on, on, you know, flying <laughs> oh, yeah. in general. Of I forgot course, about that. That, that minor, right. that minor hiccup, you know. <laughs> no, I keep forgetting. You want to, you want to jump out of them? Not. No, anyway, I really don't. Moving on to the <laughs> next story, and uh, this is uh, it's actually this is a, well, well, bad news, but a good outcome. Uh, this comes to us from six uh, abc dot com and the and. 
all four occupants of a medical helicopter, including an infant, survive a crash. So a medical helicopter carrying a two-month-old baby crashed on Tuesday uh, in a residential neighbourhood in Drexel Hill, leaving the four passengers with non-life-threatening injuries thanks to the pilot's miracle landing, officials have said. Uh, the LifeNet Medivac helicopter transporting the baby girl to a children's hospital uh, in Philadelphia went down at 12.55pm, according to local authorities and the Federal Aviation Administration. Uh, flight transportation logs show the chopper, a Eurocopter EC-135 owned by Air Methods, departed from Hagerstown, uh, MD, uh, Armando? MD, MD, MD? Oh, uh, Maryland, sorry. Thank you. At 10.29, it's, uh, it stopped at Wellspan Cham, Cham, Chambers, Chambersburg. Oh, God, we've got some really good stories this week. Thanks, John. But we made it, we made it through all the Asian airports. Yeah. Hagerstown, <laughs> Maryland to Chambersburg. Maryland. Chambersburg in Franklin County before departing Sorry. again for Philadelphia at 12.05 p. Sorry, Chambersburg is in Pennsylvania. Okay. <laughs> Uh, around 45 minutes later, the aircraft began experiencing issues while flying over Route 1, said Upper Derby Township Police Superintendent Timothy Bernhardt. Uh, the pilot searched for a place to land, uh, gliding lower and lower overhead for about a mile before plummeting, said Tim Boyce, director of Delaware County uh, Department for Emergency Services. The unit fell and slammed violently into the street at Bloomfield Avenue and Bermont Road, then skidded into the side of Drexel Hill United Methodist Church, uh, Church Boyce said. So I'm just looking at the pictures here. I haven't seen these yet. My word. Uh, the unit, uh, besides the child patient, uh, the others on board, the pilot, nurse and medic, were able to crawl out of the helicopter and didn't suffer life-threatening injuries, authorities said. Uh, the baby was taken, by, uh, uh, taken to CHOP by ambulance and was in a stable condition, officials said. Now, the pilot who sustained my, uh, more serious injuries was transported to Pern Presbyterian Medical Centre, where he was also in a stable condition. The nurse, the medic, didn't require any medical attention, and a fire official said the helicopter had about an hour's worth of fuel left at the time of the crash, and crews took steps to keep leaking fuel from contaminating groundwater. And the FAA and the NTSB are, of course, investigating this crash. So we won't know what's happened until the NTSB and the FAA have mm. obviously investigated to find out what's happened here. But, um, I mean, the actual main, um, you know, main cabin as such of the helicopter looked to be in a fairly solid piece uh, of them. Yeah, I'm no, I'm no expert, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna anticipate that they initiated an auto rotation maneuver, and they were able to. Uh, if you can see from the pictures that they were probably trying to put it down between the power lines and the church, and probably just hit hard enough that it bounced a little bit and rolled over to the left with some of that uh, that uh, gyroscopic force from from the free turning rotor. But there was a really heartwarming picture of the nurse, the flight nurse holding that that infant um as they were still sitting on top of the wreckage um really really good the um yeah the flight nurse did did not stop caring for that for that infant even after the crash mm. um yeah gives me goosebumps indeed yeah. and dave abby in the chat room has said that chop stands for children's hospital of pennsylvania oh okay there we go nice thank you dave Indeed. 
So, Matt, you've got another incredible story given to you by John here yes. with more pronunciations than a pronunciation book of pronunciations. Indeed, yes. Uh, yeah, very much wish me luck on this one. He has very kindly written them all out phonetically for me, so uh, we'll do our very best. I'm not very good at this, but I'll, I'll give it a go. So, uh, the, uh, so the, uh, the headline on this story is Japanese airline to allow pets on board as industry reels from pandemic hit. And the, uh, the website uh, this is from is from my Nitchy.jp. Uh, so the commercial <laughs> yeah, yeah, so rhymes with itchy, it says in brackets here, can probably get a cream for that. Thanks, John. Uh, the, <laughs> the commercial aviation industry continues to struggle amid the coronavirus pandemic, and as part of attempts to offer unique new features, Japanese airline Starflyer Inc. is working to introduce Japan's first fly-with-your-pet service as early as spring 2022. Apart from guide dogs and helper dogs who can and board uh, airplanes with their human partners. Japanese airlines keep pets in a part of the cargo hold. Starflyer, based in uh, f- uh, Fukuoka, uh, prefecture perf- uh, city of uh, Keita Kyushu, is looking to allow small dogs and cats which could fit in a carrier of around 50 centimeters long by 40 centimeters wide and 40 centimeters high to be carried into the passenger area and board with their owner although giving pets water will be allowed feeding them or letting them out of the carrier at airports or on board will be prohibited owners will also be asked to have their pet wear a diaper to prevent the smell of their droppings spreading the airline initially plans to offer the new service on kita kyushu uh haneda haneda uh, sorry the the kita kyushu to haneda haneda sorry route uh for the time being uh, the offer will be open to just one human animal uh pair per flight the only designated seat for the animal one of some 150 seats in the cabin is by a window and situated all the way at the back Uh, The case carrying the pet is placed in the window seat while the owner sits next to it. Uh, Fees for the new service are yet to be decided. Starflyer says the coronavirus crisis is one reason behind the new initiative's launch. While customer numbers increased in 2021 compared to 2020, sales were not even half of pre-COVID levels. It was then that the airline took notice of growing demand for pets. The Japanese Pet Food Association said that as of October 2020, the number of dogs being kept as pets over the preceding year had increased by some 58,000. The same trend was seen for cats, of which there were 67,000 more. Both animals saw the largest increase in pet numbers in the past five years. Uh, Many pet owners welcomed the initiative when Starflyer announced Japan's first ever pet boarding plans in September 2021 the company received comments including it's about time and this makes me happy during a trial flight with actual passengers Starflyer employees took a dog and a cat each kept in a carrier to the end of the aisle in the two uh, trials so far the animals remained calm and reportedly no passengers uh, submitted any complaints so there you go a couple of bits on that story, Matt, that you just read, which amused me. One of them is that um, 
you, you, when you take your pets on board, cat and dogs, you've got to, you've got to keep them. They must keep them in a carrier. Yeah, I can I can see that not happening <laughs> much when the aircraft is at cruise because someone's going to want to go and you know stroke their cat or right. you know poke their dog in the cage or something like that. Okay. Also, owners asked to make their pet wear. A, a diaper, diaper yeah, or okay. AKA nappy yeah. to prevent the smell of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've got to do something, haven't they? Yeah. You know, I mean, well, cause if it, you know, at the end of the day, you know, no matter what, what, uh, uh, you know, how relaxed the, the, the animal is going to be with their owner, um, you know, y- you can't help the animal becoming distressed possibly and therefore you know letting go uh you know it's alfie does a nervous wee for example if he's overexcited <laughs> or anything like that so you know i, I yeah i think you, you've got to do something like and then, i know, would I mean, love so- to see alfie <laughs> on an aircraft with you i think right. that would be okay. fantastic viewing. i don't know which one of us would be more scared frankly <laughs> I think it would you, you, it would work out well for both of you. Poor you little Alfie, poor, poor little Alfie would be absolutely his ears would be so far back they'd be you know halfway down his back. I think bless him. He, he, he would, yeah. he's a, he's a bit of a nervous dog at the best of times. Bless him. Have you, have you took your uh, your your two uh, uh, canine family members on board an aircraft, Armando? Oh no, no. Well, my my little terrier gets sick just in the car going around the corner. <laughs> Oh. Uh, oh. Well, there you go. <laughs> Mind you, I, I take Poppy to the vets in the in the van, but she doesn't go in a cat carrier. She sits in the passenger seat. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that's slightly different. But she, ironically, she's probably I have, more. I've never been on a vacation. I was going to say I've never been on a vacation where I thought, "Oh man, I wish I had my dogs to relax more." <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> like, that's not a thing. A vacation with <laughs> yeah. dogs is not relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> So, Armando, staying with you, and uh, this is a story that broke um, earlier this week, actually, and, and made, I think, mostly every news headline uh, online and on TV. So, yeah, let's have a look. Yeah, it did make its way, make, make its rounds as a passenger stormed into the cockpit of an American Airlines 737-800 down in Honduras, and they damaged the airplane as it was boarding. The flight was American 488 from Honduras to Miami, uh, the individual was taken into custody, uh, they said last Tuesday. Apparently, crew members intervened, and the man, identified by local media as Aaron Ebanks Fuentes, was arrested by local authorities. There were no injuries or reports of injuries. According to ABC News, the suspect ran down the jetway, turned left into the cockpit, Another witness told the local media, La Prensa, that the man had become agitated after being asked by crew members where he would be storing his luggage. So this goes to Nev's opening story about people getting antsy about simple questions. Either way, uh, Fuentes made his way to the cockpit, damaging the flight controls. There was another picture that showed uh, he broke off the the, the engine one thrust lever. Um, he then attempted to jump out the window, as Matt is showing there. Uh, that's common practice to have the window open, especially in Honduras, let a little bit of air in and out. Um, Americans said in a statement that they applauded their outstanding crew members for their professionalism in handling a difficult situation, which is probably an understatement. Uh, the damaged aircraft 
was carrying, or at least scheduled to carry, 121 passengers and six crew members. Um, it was grounded at uh, Ramon Morales International Airport in San Pedro Sula, and the new aircraft um, was sent down to operate that that leg with uh, about an eight-hour delay. And I will say, you know, some people were asking, well, is it that easy to break off? flight controls and the answer is yes okay <laughs> yeah they're they're probably about the same strength as uh carlos's home simulator you know it's they're they're just plastic and aluminum um so if you if you really throw a leg in there and you kick it i mean pilots actually break these believe it or not pretty regularly flap levers um speed brake levers things like that getting in and out of the cockpit is um it's just unfortunate that it happened in Honduras, which is not really a lot of replacement parts there. So, right, yes, um, yeah, crazy. So, so now, at least no injuries, and the the man was taken into custody. No, but we'll see something like this happen again. We always do. So, Nev, you've got the next story, and uh, going all the way to Saudi Arabia. Uh, yes, this is on the ArabNews.com, uh, and it says the headline says "Youngest woman to fly solo." around the world arrives in Saudi Arabia. Well, British uh, Belgian uh, teenage pilot Zara Rutherford landed at King Khalid International Airport in Riyadh on Thursday in her attempt to break the record for the youngest woman to fly solo around the world. Passing through 52 countries in a Mike Light aircraft, Rutherford stopped off in the kingdom from the UAE as part of her tour, which is meant to encourage girls and women to study science, technology, engineering and mathematics, as well as to stimulate girls' interest in aviation, a statement on Saudi press agency said. The kingdom's hosting of the adventurous young pilot in coordination with the Saudi Aviation Club, the Civil Aviation Authority and the Riyadh Airports Company aims to shed light on the role of women in the aviation sector and in particular empower Saudi women in the field in line with the Kingdom's Vision 2030. Captain Rutherford says she was pleased to arrive in Riyadh and that the flight had exceeded all of her expectations and gave her unforgettable moments and tremendous challenges. I enjoyed the wonderful view when flying over the Kingdom and every moment I had was an exceptional experience, she said. Rutherford set out on the epic flight in August from uh, Cortrecht International Airport in western Belgium with the goal of flying 32,000 miles across five continents. The 19-year-old who obtained a special flight license from the US FAA and the UK on August the 18th is piloting one of the world's fastest lightweight aircraft, the Shark Ultralight, which is the world's fastest two-seater single-engine light aircraft and can reach a speed of 300 kilometres per hour. Well, that's a superb achievement, isn't it? My word. It is, absolutely. And, uh, of course, uh, we were very lucky to have a chat with uh, Travis, weren't we, who did a, a sort of a very similar thing, obviously, uh, at, uh, at uh, only 18 himself. So amazing, really, isn't it? Brilliant. Absolutely. Especially amazing. in the microlight as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely yeah. something a bit different to uh, Brave, rather than a normal sort of fixed wing. <laughs> Brave is Brave, what we're yeah. looking for, Brave, I think. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, great achievement. Absolutely. Mind you, flying a microlight in that particular part of the world is probably a lot better than flying a microlight in the UK. Oh, really? Oh, it's because lots of thermals and stuff to play with. Well, not only that, it's just the weather is so good. Well, <laughs> more reliable, I think. Is more reliable <laughs> over there, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. Indeed. 
So uh, that brings the commercial news segment Ooh. to a close. And, uh, yeah. Nev, you're yes. still there. You're still there. Uh, shall, we, uh, shall we do some your favourite military stuff? <laughs> oh, my favourite military stuff. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so much of it. I, I didn't know which one to choose. Sorry. I love the way we're doing this today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Actually, yeah. actually, before yeah, before, what, before we Matt, do the military, you're ready. Why don't you kick it before, off? <laughs> before we do the military news, before we do the military news, we we have got we have got uh, coming on the or coming on lines very soon a particular new uh, uh, logo for a, a mug, haven't we? Oh, Matt? we have. Yes, absolutely. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, will also be included in in some rebranding that's taking place for the four hundred. Yes, yeah. yes. Looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. So because so, we've all seen the logo and well, it's very, very. good. It is a very good. I, I mean, Armando, you must be particularly chuffed with it. Well, the person that designed it did a fantastic job. It's actually really good looking. It, it will not surprise people, the airframe that it is. Yeah. <laughs> we indeed. will wait to unveil that. Yes, indeed. As all, all part of the, uh, as, as the very special 400. So if you can't, yes. if you can't make it in person, make sure you're watching exciting. it live, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, there, enough teasing uh, so, of the 400th. So Armando, over to well, you. Well, actually, hold on. Nev is texting me right now. And he uh, said he'd rather just... <laughs> He'd rather discuss the process of making the aluminum for the cans of the beer served in first class on British <laughs> airways than, than do military. So, right, that might be so. quite a long segment. So, we, we won't do it this week. <laughs> there, there won't be time. Very good. Uh, uh, well, a live on-air veto for that story, Nev. <laughs> if you're ready, pick them up. Pick them up. <laughs> So this first military story has a lot of question marks around it. Uh, I don't actually know that we're gonna we're gonna find the outcome of the story. I don't know if it'll be published, but on the West Coast this week, the FAA issued a ground stop for all aircraft under mysterious circumstances. The FAA just recently, just in the past couple of days, now I'm. I, the information that I'm getting is from the drive.com. This, there was a couple different websites that were covering this, but the FAA just, just in the past couple of days put out uh, an official statement regarding this mysterious ground stop order. Uh, it was issued in the Western United States and Hawaii around 2.30 p.m. Um, the incident, which, which is now confirmed, um, there are a lot of unanswered questions around it including what triggered it. Apparently, the FAA statement said, quote, as a matter of precaution, the FAA temporarily paused departures at some airports along the West Coast on Monday night. Full operations resumed in less than 15 minutes. The FAA regularly takes precautionary measures. We are reviewing the process around this ground stop as we do after all such events. Now, this statement is a little bit curious for for a couple of reasons. One, uh, publicly available recordings 
uh, of air traffic control, which Matt is going to play out a couple here in a second, uh, from the ground controllers talking with pilots at the time show that the pause was actually not limited to the West Coast of the United States. Um, in Honolulu, people, uh, pilots were issued uh, instructions to land, and uh, it was a lot of confusion. Matt, do you, are you able to play some yep, of these absolutely. Uh, right now? So I've got three yeah, files here. We start with number one. Yeah, let's do it. Line 48, hold ground. Uh, just hold there right now. We have a ground stop. There's something going on. Uh, we might have to scramble fighters shortly. Just hold there. Wow. Right. So, so that was from Honolulu saying we might have to scramble fighters shortly. There's some sort of ground stop. Go ahead and play the next one. Tower 1278. 1278, Tower. Do we have an ETA and a reason why we're delayed here? No, but if I get more information, I will certainly let you know. It's uh, it came from the command center at DC, so it is it's not local. We don't know yet what it is. Okay, thank you. Oh wow, okay, yeah, and that command center is in Washington D.C. The the FAA and has a, a massive air air traffic control command center where they monitor all air operations in conjunction with uh, the military, the North the NORAD North American Radar Defense. Um, then we have one more. That Matt's going to play yeah. out. Zero Mike Echo, uh, you just want to fly around, is that right? Sure. Uh, the north south, uh, zero Mike Echo. Right, zero Mike Echo, uh, I need you to go ahead and land at Van Nuys at this time. Some sort of national security threat's going on, and we are not allowing aircraft to maneuver in the area at the moment. Um, are you able to land at Van Nuys? Wow. Yeah, and that was in Van Nuys, which is in California. Um, there was another report from a pilot in Yuma, Arizona. That's 150 miles inland from the West Coast. They told the war zone, which is part of the drive, that the alert had been described to them as a national ground stop. Uh, also highlighting the fact of how far this, this ground stop order went. Um, other air traffic controllers uh, and recordings were out there that are pe- people are they're kind of surfacing now that aircraft were essentially for the first time since 9-11 being forced into a national ground stop. Now, of course, there had been some general speculation that the ground stop may have been related to a North Korean missile launch that occurred almost at the same time that the FAA issued this this ground stop order. Not entirely out of the realm of uh, possibility. Previously, a Russian missile drill led to a false alarm about incoming ballistic missiles flying towards Ramstein Air Base in Germany. Uh, That was back in 2020. And of course, you know, if you've seen the news, North Korea has been developing a slew of new and improved ballistic missiles, including some some hyper uh, hyper something hyper travel, hyper speed missiles uh, that have the capacity, at least advertised to reach the United States, including Hawaii, as as well as the uh, Pacific Islands. The drive reached out to U.S. Strategic Command or STRATCOM uh, public affairs there declined to offer any any explanation or, or anything about the threat. And they referred to, they referred the, the reporters over to the FAA and the FAA is sticking with their original statement. So there you go. Kind of an unknown, uh, pretty, I, I guess I won't say unprecedented, but but the last time anything like this took place was was on 9-11. And we almost, we almost had another, another uh, boy, significant milestone in aviation for an unknown reason. Crazy. What do you guys think? 
I, I mean, a couple of comments in the chat room actually um, uh, coming from from a couple of sources actually. Uh, uh, Airstig um, and uh, I'm, I, there was someone else as well, but, but they were saying, are they, are they practicing basically? Do you think this is some kind of test? Uh, I guess, I guess it could be. Um, I feel like that would have been noted. There's a safety of flight. A divert is an abnormal situation. I think for airlines, it would be a very, very uh, expensive to have to divert or land or delay. Um, so it's unlikely that that wouldn't be previously coordinated. Uh, if the if the government was just practicing a ground stop, that that would have potentially cost millions of dollars in, in, in ground stop and in, uh, in fuel costs and passenger delays, not, not to mention the safety associated with a general aviation pilot or a business pilot having to do in a, a divert. Um, that's a lot of planning. I, I, I don't think that the FAA would, would take on that kind of risk. So I, I genuinely think it, they thought something was happening for real. Wow. Um, the airstick says, was it human error? That could certainly be the case. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's like airplane, the movie, when the guy pulls up the plug and says, oh, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> well, Richard uh, Adams says, wasn't there a Hawaii missile alert by accident in 2018? There was, there was a, a reverse government emergency text that went out that basically said, take shelter. The missiles are coming. Um, and that was apparently supposed to be internal and just a practice from there at Hickam. Mm. but uh yeah I, and that's the that's the crazy thing there's so many questions surrounding this event that we i don't know if we're if we're going to find out it's yeah. still crazy yeah <laughs> Dirk S is saying yeah maybe the explanation is as easy as that someone dropped his head on the keyboard <laughs> yeah <laughs> oops <laughs> caused a wide-scale alert yeah as you do stand standard yeah. standard uh, <laughs> Someone, yeah. just, someone just press Control Alt Delete. That yeah, was what it was. absolutely. Edward James yeah. says possible computer hack. I get or, or, or hack mm-hmm. alert. Sorry, who knows? Is the short answer. Who knows? Who I knows? guess will we ever know, Nev? That, um, um, yeah, Nev. Let's ask Nev. Why not? <laughs> will we ever know? I don't think we will. I think this is going to be one of those things that will just be hushed up. Um, yeah, it, regardless, because it has to be. Probably. Yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah, and yeah, no, I'll give you that. Well done, you, commenting on a military story. I'm very proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) Bonus point to Nev. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, this next one's pretty cool. Carlos, why don't you take us over? Yeah, this this is um, something I think uh, Jonathan Warner wished he had coming his way. Uh, This (laughs) is uh, coming to us from thedrive.com, a B-52 bomber uh, being trucked across central United States. So a retired U.S. Air Force B-52H Strato Fortress, nicknamed Damage Inc. 2 Say no more. was recently <laughs> taken out of storage at the 309th Aerospace Maintenance and Regeneration Group's Boneyard at Davis Monsan Base Air Force Base and disassembled before beginning its journey eastward across the county uh, country to be partially reassembled for research and development purposes. Oh, really? God, it's been about long enough. Uh, now this strip down buff is on the road again and drawing huge amounts of attention. 
Uh, no, Jonathan Warner, it's not heading uh, to your back garden. Uh, <laughs> Damage Inc. 2's incredible journey is being officially documented by the Boneyard Safari. Uh, the group's Raymond C. Purcell, who is on the road with the Bombers caravan, was kind enough to share these fantastic images that you're currently seeing on the screen of the journey so far and some details about the operation uh, with uh, the uh, publication at uh, the b52h or 61-0009 was constructed in 1961 after serving for decades with various bomber units on september the 25th 2008 she made her final flight to the aircraft maintenance and regeneration groups at davis montan uh, there uh, there the uh, 61-0009 sat for the 14 years until the Air Force decided on a new use for the decommissioned aging aircraft. Judging by the pictures, it could do with a repaint. Uh, <laughs> the uh, entire convoy may uh, finally hit the road early on Monday morning, uh, pulling out the Pima Air and Space Museum to start what will be a long and challenging journey. Uh, Purcell tells the war zone that the B-52 and its escorts take up to two lanes of traffic. Imagine that here in the UK with our roads. So they'll have to pull over every five miles or so. Every They'll have to pull over. Check this out, guys and girls. They'll have to pull over every five miles to let the traffic pass. Now, can you imagine being behind that in five miles of traffic? Um so just going, the 50 miles from Pima took over six hours. And even with the inconvenience, people didn't seem to put, uh, be put too, uh, too much by the operation. I mean, to be fair, us playing geeks probably wouldn't be. Well, no. uh, according to Purcell, it just seemed excited, excited, if not stunned, to see the iconic bomber on the road. At some stops, crowds and onlookers have come to check out the B-52, and even some veteran air crews have had a chance to interact with the old man, including one of the last tail gunners to crew the B-52s. In all, the B-52's trip to, it new, to its new home uh, could take up to four weeks, depending on many factors, including weather, which team hopes to avoid, some are sure uh, to ask why not just fly the aircraft uh, out to Oklahoma City instead of executing such an arduous road transportation operation. Uh, regenerating the bomber would have taken a massive amount of work and cost a huge sum of money just so that it could take one flight. There's also competing demand for resources and capacity for such a task. Seeing it uh, as it will never fly again anyway, just moving it over land was a far more logical option, although it's not without its own challenges, to say the least. Now, you put the pictures on board on the uh, screen there, Matt. It's, mm. um, yeah, you know, I, it's, it, it would make one hell of a shed. <laughs> Or storage storage facility. Wow, uh, okay, fifty two. But uh, it's good to but, see but, the, see this being reused. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the pitch air, you know, Johnny's airplane being moved uh, across through some of the streets. But there, uh, go to Twitter. You can go over to Instagram and look up. I think it's a hashtag B fifty two road trip, and you can see real time updates from the cities that they're going through. I think last I saw, they were somewhere in, in West Texas and either Lubbock or Amarillo, something like that. And yeah, they're they're letting people up into the airplane when they stop. So there's people taking pictures from inside the airplane. I'm That's not entirely sure where they're going, but yeah, you're gonna have to uh, gonna have to follow them on Twitter. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna look them up on Twitter. <laughs> 
I did. I, I started following them because I think it's it's pretty cool that, that yeah. they're doing this. And, and, and it's, uh, they actually have some videos too of how the truck has to navigate, um, has to navigate like around stoplights because it's so tall. Right. It's not just just a hundred and something feet long or 200 feet long, whatever it is, but it's uh, but it's having to navigate through traffic lights and under bridges and this and that. At least our roads aren't as windy as your roads over there. But, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm now, now following them at Boneyard Safari. For those right. of you who want to follow them on Twitter at Boneyard Safari. Ah, there you go. There you go. Excellent. Um, let's see. Nev. Nev, are, are you willing to take a story? <laughs> he's, he's having a pint before he uh, he does. He's all right. <laughs> yes, but of course it's uh, from Asia, so that will result in mispronunciation again, won't it? So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll give it a go. Uh, it's on the Reuters.com website. Uh, it says that Taiwan suspends F-16 training missions after jet crashes. Uh, Taiwan's Air Force on Tuesday suspended combat training for its F-16 fleet after a recently upgraded model of the fighter jet crashed into the sea in the latest of a series of accidents. The Defence Ministry said that the F-16V, the most advanced type in Taiwan's fleet, went missing from radar screens after taking off from the Chai uh, Air Base in southern Taiwan for a training mission uh, over a coastal firing range. Uh, President uh, Tsai Ying-wen uh, issued instructions to spare no efforts in the search and rescue mission and to further clarify the cause of the accident, her spokesman said. Uh, the government's rescue command centre said witnesses had seen the aircraft crash into the sea and helicopters were searching for the pilot. Uh, Air Force uh, um, Inspector General uh, Liu um, Hui Shen said that the aircraft had only recently been upgraded to the V version with new weapons, systems and avionics. Cust uh, combat training for the F-16 fleet has now been suspended, he added. In late 2020, an F-16 vanished shortly after takeoff from the Hualien Air Base on Taiwan's east coast on a routine training mission. Last year, two F-5E fighters, which first entered service in Taiwan in the 1970s, crashed into the sea off the southeast coast after they apparently collided in mid-air during a training mission. Whilst Taiwan's uh, Air Force is well-trained, it has strained from repeatedly scrambling to see off Chinese military aircraft in the past two years, though these accidents have not been linked in any way to these intercept activities. China, which claims the democratic island as its own, has been routinely sending aircraft into Taiwan's air defence zone, mostly in an area around the Taiwan-controlled Pratas Island, uh, but sometimes also into the airspace between Taiwan and the Philippines. So, yes, some uh, interesting uh, aircraft losses there. Mm. I wonder what the uh, wonder what the real story is. Yeah, and uh, and every week as I'm coming through for military stories, there are numerous numerous stories about Chinese aircraft infringing Taiwanese airspace and the resulting intercepts. Uh, there's so many of them that I don't include them. That, that's, you know, I, mm. it's not to marginalize the, the volatility of the region out there, but um, usually the stories, at least for the podcast, are just uh, a very quick six aircraft 
incurred their airspace. They were reacted to, um, similar to the, to the Baltic and the and the North Sea and the North Atlantic um, intercept things going on. But yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there is a operational tempo, as in like they're working too much, too hard, is leading to some of these mishaps. Um, either way, it's unfortunate that that has to happen. Um, sticking with Air Forces, uh, this last story is uh, was actually brought to us by John. Uh, this is from the Northern Echo.co.uk, an aircraft from the U.S. Air Force stopped at Teesside Airport to refuel. Uh, this was uh, just a few nights ago, Teesside International Airport. Um, Tees Valley Mayor Ben Hutchin posted on Facebook. Fantastic that our airport was able to help out the United States Air Force with some fueling earlier tonight. This just goes to show how important our airport is. Hashtag special relationship. I love that hashtag. Um, Teesside Airport Movement said that the U.S. Air Forces in Europe, Hercules and Ospreys, uh, were in for fuel, also involving some KC-135s and Ospreys from Mildenhall and the uh, Hercules, which had been temporarily the Deployed to RAF Fairford out there in the, well, it's not quite the Midlands, is it? Is it the Midlands? <laughs> Fairford? Uh, Fairford's it's in Gloucestershire. So it's Gloucester, sort of, yeah. sort of, a little bit yeah. south, right? Yeah. Um, the website at uh, Teesside Airport said that it started last night, ends on the, ended on the 13th, which was last night. Newcastle had two Hercules and two Ospreys and Spadatum, uh, Air refueling areas off our coast and over the Isle of Man were still active late in the evening. Um, tonight, the aircraft are also using Alston as a landing zone. Uh, aircraft call sign Asher 4 or 5 used the tanker before coming in to us, and the 135 has now left the area for Mildenhall. Uh, and that was at 7.30 uh, two nights ago, 30%, uh, Wednesday night. So pretty cool pictures up there. And uh, mm. the reason we threw this in there, it's uh, uncommon for us to go out. You know, I was stationed there at Mildenhall with this group, flying the Hercules and the Ospreys. It's uh, not something that we did often to go to a civilian airport or to an airport outside of a U.S. military base. A um, couple of reasons for that. Usually fuel. Mm. Well, we don't have to pay for our own fuel if it's on the it's on the base, but uh, but it's it's good that we have to practice that, right? I mean that that special relationship does go back a long way, and it's important. I've always maintained that it's important for the U.S. Air Force over there to uh, highlight to the people of the United Kingdom what it is that we do, our capabilities, and why it is that we're being hosted there, and um, an opportunity to go out and do. Yeah, Fairford tended to be one of our bases that we did exercises at because there's not a lot. It's kind of like a warm base, as in not a lot going on there. As uh, well, except for Jonathan Warner sitting off the end of the runway um, all the time. Um, yeah, just but, Jonathan Warner, no one else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, here's a fun fact: the the Air Force, military police, the the security forces actually really enjoy having the photographers there okay. because the photographers are such. A unique and close-knit community that they actually, in order to preserve their ability and their right to photograph these aircraft, they're often in contact with the um, Ministry of Defense police departments that are on the bases, as well as the Air Force Security Forces, to let them know if there's something out of the ordinary. If there's somebody 
there that doesn't look like they belong, those photographers are actually an integral uh, part of our most external line of defense at these military bases. So um, there you go. There's a fun fact. And they know this. Just a quick question for you, Armando. When you're when you're flying into these, uh, follow, when you're flying into a civilian um, airfield, are you treated the same way as any other commercial aircraft airliner? Uh, how so? You mean from an air traffic control? From standpoint? an air traffic, yeah, from an air traffic kind of standpoint, yeah. Uh, yeah, generally, uh, in the the UK is a little bit unique in that you have military control um, that overlies the civilian control of the airspace. So there's London military, there's Scottish military controllers. Um, but going into an airport like Teesside, you would just be on the standard um, civilian frequencies talking to them. So, um, and, and really, there's no, there's no difference. The Ospreys are treated like a helicopter. The 130s and the 135s are treated like regular airport airplanes. Really, what it's going to boil down to is the ground support. That's the only thing that's, that's going to be a little bit unique for that airport's ground support staff is where are you going to park them? Um, as we saw, you know, at Adam Brooks Hospital over mm. there in Cambridge, yeah. you know, that was, yeah, that, that was probably, that went well. A, <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be a, a, just a regular old Wednesday afternoon training event. Let's go land at Adam Brooks. And, uh, we ended up ripping up the, the whole helipad out there with the Osprey, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, but that's good. It's good to, you know, let's say something happens at Mildenhall and Lakenheath and we can't land back there. And, um, and we have to divert to a civilian airfield, whether that's, you know, Cambridge, Teesside, Manchester, Birmingham, you know, our, our low-level routes in our practice areas go out over the Peak Districts, they go out over Wales, they go out over Scotland, um, the, uh, whatever the, the body of water is between the mainland and the Isle of Man, we go out there. So we always have it in the back of our minds that there are these civilian airfields that we could divert to if needed to, um, I think it was just last year or two years ago, we put one down in, in a farmer's field somewhere out there in the Lake District. And wow. uh, yeah, it was a precautionary. I think they got a chip light and they, they put it down. The wingman landed and they, it, was, it was not an issue. I think it flew out the next day. But but yeah, it's, you know, it's good to practice. So I, I must admit, one, and, and this is the naivety here, and, and the words that are about to fall out of my mouth, I know I'm going to immediately regret when they do but i must admit i kind of didn't think that you would also have i assumed military was all its own had it all its own special equipment its special frequencies and all that kind of thing so i i kind of assumed that you you wouldn't have the ability to communicate with normal atc if you see what i mean yeah we can we can we have both vhf and uhf radios okay sorry Um, here (laughs) while i was in training here, while I was in training here in Atlanta, the um, Air Force One, Air Force Two came in with its entourage of uh, C-17s. A couple of uh, Marine Ospreys came in. The the uh, Marine One came in to Atlanta International Airport. So, and those are just really, I mean, I guess aside from Air Force One, they're pretty standard aircraft. So, but we have, we have the capability to always interact with the civilian airspace. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, yeah. I tell you. It's interesting stuff, this, I tell you. Isn't it, Nev? Yes, but I've got some good news. <laughs> Go on, Nev. Um, I was on a US Air Force base somewhere in the east coast of England uh, two years ago, um, and they had their own petrol station there, or gas station, gas. the Americans would say. Um, and that's fair enough. 
but they uh, you can buy your fuel obviously you have to be on the base and an american person i suppose at the same price that you might pay for it in the u.s oh my goodness in u.s dollars <laughs> oh oh let's go that how lovely would that be? I think it's we need enough. to go and fill up at um, <laughs> so Elden Hall, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or whatever it is. You know? God, goodness so, me. Yeah. yeah. It is, per the status of forces agreement, that is a rationed. We actually have a card that we have to show when we fill up our, our gas. Um, yeah, in addition yeah, yeah. to alcohol <laughs> and tobacco. Anything that we buy is actually hard liquor is rationed. Um, because of the VAT exemptions and the uh, okay, yeah. agreements between Her Royal Majesty's Customs and the U.S. forces. Um, so in order for us to get it at U.S. prices, because we're still getting paid in U.S. dollars, right? So yeah, um, take whatever whatever the number is and, and, and take 30 to 40% off of that. And that's the, the, the sterling equivalent to... To what we're making over there, so these little um, rationed items make it feasible. But Americans, that's what's important: is put gas in your truck, make sure you got a fifth of jack and some cigars. <laughs> I was going to say barbecue. I thought I, f- I felt obliged to throw a barbecue in there, but <laughs> Every, everything else we're perfectly pi- perfectly fine paying VAT on. Right, just, just don't tax my liquor. Don't, don't yeah, yeah. yeah. Beer and beer and fags don't <laughs> absolutely no. Uh, cigarettes, uh, I should qualify. I should qualify. Uh, yes. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> right, yes. Sorry. Anyway, to anyone who's yeah, anyone outside of the UK, I, it sounds like I've just been really rude. I I really haven't. I promise. Cigarettes. Uh, yeah. Cigarettes. Uh, yeah, Alan, Alan White in the chat room asks: uh, Do U.S. crews undergo special training in Geordie English? Uh, yes, we're all made to watch Geordie Short. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the day before you fly that and and then you do your best to understand them wow okay <laughs> as, a, as a, i think one of the one of the one of the best phrases is like when because uh, one of my best friends is is a geordie um as you well know carlos and uh, as i say i remember one of the first things he said to me when he first got here and it was just uh, it was all done in jest and stuff and it, he said hoya hama awa hini Exactly. Uh, anyway, social media links. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Quite, indeed. So uh, Nev is going to uh, give us our social media links in his best Geordie accent. Oh, is Luckily, he? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> okay. But, uh, if you're looking for us on social media, uh, look us up on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and search for Plain Talking UK. Our WhatsApp number is plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Our email address for the studio is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and our website is all the W's plaintalkinguk.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and you'll get notifications when we go live. And you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room as many people have done tonight so go to youtube.com for that and search for plain talking uk also on our website there is an amazon link we get paid a small referral free if you want to do your shopping from amazon on that and also there's the patreon uh, system where you can become a patreon of the show and donate money to us each month and uh, so that's about it yeah so if you want to do any of those things uh, go to the website and you'll see all the details there 
And actually, if you do go to Patreon, there's a couple of been some recent changes, one of which is that you no longer have to pay your Patreon patronage in dollars no more. You can pay it in sterling now, <gasps> a new alteration uh, to the patronage oh. thing. Also, uh, there is, I should just say, there is some fantastic content on there for you to enjoy. Uh, the, the best one I've seen so far involves a certain Carlos and a certain Armando sat, <laughs> sat in the Pilatus. Uh, if uh. you haven't had a chance to 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 look at that highly recommend uh taking a look as i say even if you only subscribe for one show it's a, you only have to pay a pound and then you can have a look at that as i say brilliant brilliant footage it really is uh, a great time was had by both of them you lucky swines <laughs> i know i know i know i've, I've literally you, you, got you my... don't realize how you are such a lucky boy carlos oh, I mean, oh, I, oh, yeah. oh trust me oh trust me i realize exactly yeah. how blinking lucky i yeah, was yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. on my trip to the US. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, big thanks again to uh, to all my hosts in the US yeah, for my absolutely. fantastic yeah, stay. Big, yeah, well, and of course, big thanks to Stephen for sort of getting you out there and all that yes, kind of thing. Yes, Mr. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah. then Stefan and the legendary Armando, of course. Yes, yes. But, uh, oh, my word, I, honestly, I want to go and do it again. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to let the let's, wife get over uh, the last one. Yeah, that's like, exactly. <laughs> Well, we gotta we gotta get Nev and Matt over. Yeah, I gotta get Nev in the right seat. He'll he'll increase yeah, our uh, yeah. our customer experience level. Three. Yes, <laughs> I like you'll it. be in seat one 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 one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we we could do Pilatus in the Pilatus, perhaps as well. Pilates, yeah. Pilates, yeah, well, Pilates, Pilates in the Pilatus. I like what? Sorry, <laughs> that's a that's a very different show. <laughs> in, starting in March, I'll be in the Hawker, so we can we can well, let Carlos room. have that. That lowly Pilatus experience, and then Nev can can one up him in the hockey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should just. I, I want to stress. I'm, I'm I'm going to be quite happy just holding the coats. By the mm. way, don't don't feel mm. obliged to stick. Me. <laughs> it's not a problem. Anyway, we're rapidly running out of time, so we need to, yes. to wrap up. You have <laughs> you have less. You have two and a half minutes before we have to okay, run, roll right, titles. Just quickly before we wrap up, we. We have still got spaces for the 400, but it is nearly full. But we have still got some spaces for the 400th yeah. show in February next month, 26th of February, if you haven't already uh, emailed us. If you want to come and see us, come and join us. Come and join all the family at the 400th show, the live show, down at the Brooklyn's Museum. Don't forget, get that email in. Uh, now, to now. Go, podcast yeah. at plaintalkinguk.com is the email address if you want to join us and get on the guest list as yeah. I said it has been we've had two more people um, come on board this week as well to add to the uh, the yeah. guest list it's very very busy and indeed we, and we literally have yeah. like probably a very small handful of spaces left literally yes. because of social distancing and things like that so if you are yes. interested uh, get get the name in now Yes, so, and uh, on that note, we are going to bring episode 396 <gasps> to a close. Uh, so big thanks to all the chat room. Thank you all the chat room for joining us this evening. Great to have you all in there with us, as always, this, this uh, evening. And also big thanks to Nev for being on the show tonight. Thank you, Nev. Oh. Big thanks to Armando as well as always, because uh, I know he's very busy at the moment. And also a big thanks to Matt as well uh, for being in the studio, pushing all the right buttons and stuff, and not forgetting as well, a big thanks to John for all the pre-production show work, giving us all those fantastic stories this evening on the show. 
So that's it then, guys and girls. From me, Carlos, Five, here in my home studio. Four, from Matt in his home studio. Three, and from Nev and Armando. Two, Take care, everyone. One. Goodbye. Goodbye.